Hi guys, welcome back to another Flushing It podcast. I'm just going to do a weekly recap of the news and views and some of the results and stuff over the weekend. And to help me do that, I've brought in my twin brother, Tony. So welcome back to the podcast, mate. Hello, mate. How you doing? Yeah, all good. It's, I've literally, I've just jumped off a building site to record this one. So yeah, if the sound quality <laughs> yeah, is a bit, funny enough, I'm, a bit crap. I'm sat in my car outside my office. <laughs> Yeah, it's mad. It's, it's so funny. People like accuse me of being paid all the time sometimes on Twitter, but like I literally have a job where um yeah, we, we do stuff this around our um our our actual jobs and, and sort of just fit it in when we can. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's exactly. all good. It's a bit of fun, isn't it? Exactly, mate. Did you play golf at the weekend? No, Tom, I haven't played for ages. I've um well I've played once this year so far. The weather's been so bad. So every time I'm planning to play, it's it's either too wet, the course is closed, it's frosty. I've had people off sick at work. So, you know, last two Fridays I planned to play and then had to go and work because um, I had people off. It's just been an absolute nuisance. But I'm, I'm, I'm penciled in for Friday this week and it looks sunny. So fingers crossed I'll finally get around in. How about you? Yeah. Yeah, that'd be good, mate. I went up the range last week. It was like minus five. And, um, you know, when you knife at a long iron and it just, you feel like your arms are going to fall off because it oh, like, shatters absolutely. all the way up the shaft. It was horrible. Yeah. So... Yeah, um, yeah I, I hit, can imagine. Hit about, I hit about 20 balls and then, then bin that off. So, yeah. I think some of the courses must be just terrific. I can't imagine Dibden around the corner of the local Muni is, uh, I think there's a shallow end and a deep end there. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I mean, that back nine's down pretty much at sea level, isn't it? So, even with the drainage they put in, that's going to be just a swamp at the moment. But um, Yeah, unfortunately so. But, you know, it is what it is. We We look forward to April. Yeah, indeed. And every day now going forwards, it's getting slightly lighter in the evenings. So we're getting closer to golf after work. And that's what everyone wants. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Right. It's exciting times. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, we've kind of decided that we're going to try and smash these recap pods out. So they're not too long because there's a lot of golf podcasts which, you know, go way over an hour. And I just think it's a bit unnecessary. No one wants to listen to people talk about golf for that long. So let's jump straight into it. And there's only one place to start, really. We've had the amateur Nick Dunlop making history, becoming the first amateur to win on the PGA Tour since 1991 when Phil Mickelson did it as a college junior. So did you watch much of that, mate? And, and what did you make of it? It was just incredible, really. It was incredible. Do you know, I just, I'm astonished by how well he held himself together on that final round. You know, he he looked great all week. And often you see amateurs turn up and, you know, they can put together two or three great rounds. But on the final day, the pressure really gets strong and they fall away. What impressed me the most about Nick was that he front nine, obviously he's made a big blip on the, uh, on the seventh where he's made a double bogey and he's immediately managed to recompose himself and bounce back. And then obviously on the back nine, again, Sam Burns is well, not to put the pressure on, he's taken the lead comfortably and Nick has managed to find a couple of birdies just to get himself back in contention. Then Sam's gone and, um, you know, made a couple of totally unforced errors to um, hand Nick the opportunity to win it. And people, I noticed in the commentary on, on 18, when he's, he's obviously he's hit it right, sensible thing, you just can't miss it left. And to be fair, what amazed me about that golf course with the, uh, with the dormant grass is you can pretty much hit it anywhere and you can still have a half-decent lie. So he's hit it right, he's got a half-decent lie, he's what, 190 away, he's, hit, he's got to get over the elevated bit in front of him, which he's done nicely, he's front right, and it looks like a straightforward pitch. And the commentators are saying, oh yeah, this should be a nice straightforward pitch for him. But he's a 20-year-old amateur who's still at college about yeah, exactly. to try and win a PGA Tour event with water long on a quick green. And there's nothing straightforward. <laughs> no, 100%. So to hit it to, what was he, Carry like on. seven feet away or something? You know, to hit such a good chip was amazing. And then to compose himself, and he banged that part straight in the middle. Oh, just very, very impressive. And, you know, it was amazing to watch. I loved it. 
Yeah, just like you said, is the way he recovered from that early double on the front nine on seven. Um, like he could have easily, because it was such a bad shot, it was virtually a shank, really. It was never going anywhere apart from the water. And he could have just crumbled after that and just completely melted down on the back nine, which, you know, no one would have blamed him if he did. But to recover like he did and and the big things under pressure, like like you say, Sam got ahead and, and then they step on 15 and, and um, Nick Dunlop hits the flagstick, you know. I mean, that just goes to show, doesn't it? He's, his iron play has been is one of the best parts of his game. And um, he sort of certainly showed it down the stretch. And then, you know, to, to just like he played the 18, like you say, he played it solid. And to have that that putt on the um, seven feet or whatever it was to win after he thought he had a two-shot lead and then he suddenly realised at the green it was only one and he knew he had to hold it. And his caddy said to him, look, you've made a, a million of these putts, just roll it in. And he did. I just think it was absolutely fantastic. Um, did you hear the, it was uh, the the interview with his dad about three holes or four holes before the end? And they said to him, uh, "When did you realise that Nick was special?" And he said, "When he shot fifty nine as a twelve year old." Like that blew my mind. I just can't. I like, know, man. I mean, like we obviously we were good juniors, but like at twelve, we basically only just started playing. So I can't imagine being that good at that age. Like I, I certainly have never seen a kid around here. Like we've seen some really top talented lads, like David Porter, obviously, or even further up the country, like Ollie Fisher or whatever. They've been child prodigies. Justin but, Rose, <laughs> or Justin, yeah. But fifty nine at twelve, like that's just another I level. Know. It's astonishing. I just kept thinking to myself, oh, it must have been a par three course. <laughs> yeah, I think it was uh, fifty seven or fifty eight hundred yards, I believe. So. Um, it was quite short, yeah, but so, that's still... So it's actually, good. you say it's short, but it's still the same length as like, you know, we play at New Forest and that's similar length and we've never shot 59 around there. No, <laughs> that's true. Gone close. Yeah, yeah so, very you true. know, absolutely astonishing stuff. And he's clearly a, an incredible talent. Let's hope he presses on from here. Um, you know, it'd be nice to see how he gets on in the, the majors that he's going to play this year. He's already played at the US Open last year, I believe. He didn't, um, you know, do struggled. overly well. But he's, but you know, nice to see that he's um he's getting blooded anyway. Yeah, he struggled a bit last year at the US Open, but um he's in. I don't know what he's going to do now because he's withdrawn from this week's event on the PGA Tour. So whether he's thinking about turning pro or um going back to college or or whatever he's thinking about, he's still no matter what he does, he's going to be in the Masters regardless now because he's got access as a pro or as an amateur. So um, yeah. yeah, yeah, which is which he is cool. To... Is. Carry on. He definitely needs to just put some thought into it, doesn't he? I think he's sensible pulling out from the farmers because he'll be there this week and there'll be cameras all over him. Like the press, the media pressure will be so intense. I think yeah. it's sensible to take a step back and really chew over what he plans to do from here. You know, he's already proven himself. So, um, yeah, now he's just got to make the right decision for his career. Yeah, and his his climb to fame is happens like he's now at a level that's probably above Michael Block. And you you see what happened to him last year. He was on a million podcasts. He was all over the place uh, media wise. Yeah. So. Yeah, it would certainly be good for him to go back and see his family and sort of reflect and just digest exactly what's happened to his life because it is a serious life-changing event that's just happened. Um, it is. Yeah, well, um, some other things from the week. Um, what did you make of Justin Thomas? He got back into it. I thought he was going to have a better last day, but um, it was good to see him sort of contending again to win a PGA Tour event. Justin, I thought Justin played quite well on Sunday, actually. Like, he just didn't really hold anything. He just didn't make... He didn't have that spark. Um you know, he, his ball striking seemed to still be there, made the odd mistake. But generally speaking, I think on Saturday, he'd been the world. On Sunday, he didn't. I think that's the difference. Yeah, that's true. He has, you know, he still... I think it was, did he have 23 parts or 22 parts or something on Saturday? Which is, that's yeah, how he shoots 61. He, everything he looked at went in. Yeah, 
it's that's how you shoot 61 like it's everyone talks a lot about you know sending it and just smashing it miles off the tee but if you're not draining putts you're not making birdies so it doesn't matter how close you're hitting it either you've got to knock them in so um that's the difference yeah. between low score and and yeah it's something that he has not been the best out over the years so if he can start banging in some parts and yeah and continue sort of you know his, his impressive iron play then he hopefully can get back to the top again and have a have a big year which should be good yeah he can do you know, I like Justin Thomas. I think he's a really good lad. He's He's got time for everybody. I understand that he was, you know, it's been reported that he was like text messaging Nick anyway, like previously to this event. This is the first time they played together. So it sounds like he's there for encouragement and to be a bit of a, a role model, I guess in a way, maybe like Tiger has been to Justin. So, you know, it's good to see these guys coming, coming together and, and just helping each other out. Yeah, and, and he tried to um, calm Nick down walking down the 18th as well because when he sent it into the crowd, he um he walked over to Nick and said, is that the first time you've hit a spectator sort of trying to break the ice after the bad shot? And that was kind of cool. But um, yeah, yeah, it, it, that was that was great to see, I thought. It's, um, yeah, it's, um, the, these sort of role models, the, the, the role that these guys have, like the established pros sort of when the college kids come out on tour is huge because you can't, you can't really beat having you know that experienced guy taking you under your wing and sort of showing you the ropes because if you if you go out on tour and you're, you're fresh you don't really know anyone and and there's a lot to learn and having someone like that coming up to you and and yeah like trying to keep you calm under pressure on the 18th file or, or text messaging or whatever to to help you with your career is um it can only be a good thing and it's it's really cool to see it must be, yeah. I can imagine it does become quite a lonely place, especially if you're playing badly. I think if you're playing well, people are coming up to you and congratulating you and probably wanting to talk to you. But if you're not playing great, you can probably quite quickly slip into a, you know, a not particularly nice, monotonous lifestyle of, of and it can probably be quite miserable for some players. So, yeah, I agree. Having those those people around you that can offer some encouragement and some tips and advice is, must be absolutely massive and, you know, gold dust for a guy like Nick, who's 20 years old and fresh to the scene. Um I'm sure that is going to help him significantly when he, he does turn pro and start playing on the tour. Yeah, and that's you see a lot of these college guys that that come out of of college and they're they're sort of their world beaters all sort of um, put up as world beaters, but then they just kind of slope off and disappear. And yeah, there's whatever they can do to help these guys to to sort of bring them forwards and take the pressure off them a little bit and and encourage them and blood their careers um would be a big thing because uh yeah it's it's one of the best stories in sports is when you have a young talent coming through and then they they get bigged up as this this next big thing and then they do actually sort of go out and achieve that kind of thing it's fantastic you just got to look at Luke Littler in darts and what he's doing at the moment like he's 16 yeah. year old lad just turned 17 had a you know impressive junior career where people were bigging him up he goes in the world championships and gets to the final and just loses out and then he goes in his very first um like tour event as a nine data checks out one 70 and beats Michael Van Gerwen to win straight away and it's it's such a cool story and it's bringing a lot of eyeballs to the sport and that's the kind of thing that can happen in golf you just need the next sort of young superstar that can come along um yeah and just sort of take the world by storm and maybe it could be Nick maybe yeah definitely because there's been a few players that have come and been as you mentioned earlier just been bigged up to do that like Cameron Chant you know like your Matt Wolfs and stuff and just haven't quite managed to get there um, you know, it's nice to see Cameron playing half decent at the weekend. You know, I think he, he ended, I mean, it's, it's crazy, isn't it? Looking at the scores, I think he ended up like 17 or 18 under par or something, which, you know, is, is absolutely astonishing amount under par, but he was like 30th. <laughs> yeah, it's nuts. It's, I do want to touch on the, on the low scoring actually in a minute, but um, just while we were talking about uh, young lads that have amateurs that have um, won on tour, do you remember a lad we played with um, in the British boys back in like 2000 
whatever, three or four. Pablo Martin. Yeah, I remember Pablo very remember well. Him? He actually, yeah, he, it was, he it was him tour. that made me, he what? He won on the European tour as an amateur. Oh, did he? Oh, in did Spain? Did you not know that? Yeah. Um, I'm not yeah, sure I can't I... remember where it was, but he he won on the European tour as an amateur and then just really struggled after that. Like he never he never won as a pro, I don't believe. Um, so it just goes to show like there is a difference between winning on tour as an amateur and winning as a pro. Yeah. Well, Shane Lowry did, didn't he? He won the Irish Open, he's pressed on. Um yeah, so he did, there's, yeah. there's been yeah, there's been a few, I think, that have yeah, it's been a mixed bag, really, I guess. Guys have come in and then done really well. Do you remember Paul Dunn played really well at the Open? And then you don't really hear about him now. I think he plays a Challenge Tour a bit. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, the Paul Dunn was, he had yeah. the 54-hole lead, didn't he? Was that at St Andrews? I think it was. Um, I can't remember now, but I just remember his name. And I, I saw him, I was watching a couple of lower-level tour events last year. And I remember seeing his name and thinking, oh, it's a real shame he hasn't managed to press on. But, you know, he's still young. He can probably... It, I think that a lot of players don't really reach their peak until their 30s and so there's, there's still time you know like look at Blandy won for the first time at 48 like you just never give up if you yeah. if you've got that talent and you can get by and you can make a living out of it and you you are improving just keep going at it keep working yeah. hard Paul Dunn did actually win the British Masters I believe um, a few years back so he has he has come out he has um obviously won on the european tour and one of the biggest events on european tour so um but yeah he yeah. is certainly back down playing around sort of jumping between sort of tour starts and challenge tour starts at the moment um yeah it's it's, it's um it's, it's also something i noticed um where you see it a bit i guess it's a bit easier to win up there but but sort of amateurs winning on the asian tour seems to happen quite a lot like tk won at 14 didn't he so it's um yes he did what an incredible in- story that was. Yeah, I know. He's the youngest guy to win an OWGR event. He's um but again, since that win, he hasn't been in the same form in pro events that he has been. It might be because obviously he's been really sort of bogged down with exams and sort of deciding which college he's going to go to in the States and stuff. And he's going to Stanford um early. Um he's doing his mocks at the moment, actually. Um, but he's going to still play uh quite a few Asian tour events this year. So um it will be interesting to see if he gets back to that level which he was at because his performances as a 14, 15 year old on the Asian tour were were better than they have been um as he's got a little bit older. So yeah. Yeah. I think that you have that when you're 14, 15 as well. You don't have you you haven't really had time to get those negative thoughts in your head. <laughs> like it may sound silly, but you just think that you're you're the best in the world at that age and that you can beat anybody. And I think so true. When you then it doesn't take much for negative thoughts and a bit of anxiety to creep in, um, you know. So, I, I, hopefully, that isn't the case with TK, and he and I'm sure he's, he's he's you know he's an amazing player. He's got an incredible golf swing, um, but yeah, I think that it can be very easy to to when you're younger just to have that super like confidence and whether or not you can press on with that as you get a bit older, I don't know. But I certainly found that like when I was a teenager, I used to just literally think I'd go and beat anybody, and now. You know, I, t- <laughs> I turn up in a f- scratch first team match and I find out who I'm playing. I just check their handicaps. I'm like, oh, he's off plus three. <laughs> and you still yeah. straight away. It's so funny. It's, it's, I remember when we, um, we played a Hampshire match with Bickers and um, Ollie Fisher was like a child protege at the time. And we played against Essex in a like Southeastern group foursomes game or something. And we wanted to play against Ollie. It was like, we want this guy. And when we drew against him, we like high fived, like, right, let's go and stick it to him. And we did go out and yeah. beat him. But if, if I, 
played now and I was because I was off I think I was off one or, or something at the time and he was off like plus five if I was off one now and I got drew against a plus five handicapper I'd be like oh for fuck's sake should I just stay in the bar <laughs> yeah you'd literally you'd crumble on the first tee do you know Mood, so Mood said that to me at Stoneham he said whenever he played a first team match against a guy that he knew was off like scratch or higher he just on the first tee the first thing he'd do was say oh hi mate I'm I'm Ryan and then ask him what his handicap was because then automatically the guy says oh what are you off and of course as soon as he said plus four you could see their neck shrink <laughs> yeah so that's it it's, like, one up already. <laughs> it's, it's funny how like when you when you're youngsters you want to you just have like no fear you just think about beating everyone and, and like your career trajectory don't you really but it sort of changes Absolutely. you get older and you experience failure as you said but yeah, it'll be, it's going to be fascinating to see all these kids because so many of them out there, like young Caleb Surratt is, has been linked. So I'm almost certain he's joining John Rahm's team on live. So um, he's only oh, right. uh, the same age as Nick Dunlap, I think. So um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see sort of how he gets on out there sort of playing against these top guys. But yeah, it's going to be a fascinating few months, I think. Um, yeah, for right, sure. We've we got to move on because we are limited with time, obviously, both being at work. So yeah. Um, we better move on, really, to Rory. It comes out and wins his fourth Dubai Desert Classic title. Um, he was miles back entering the weekend. I think he was 10 shots back entering Saturday. And then he yeah, went he out was. and shot a 63 in tough conditions, which was about, I think it was four shots ahead of the second lowest score, which was Wako Neiman, who he played with. It was a really impressive round. And then he's managed to get the job done on Sunday as well and chased down Cameron Young. Um, yeah, what did you make of that? It's, a, it's good to see Rory winning again. He wins here a lot. But, um, yeah, it's... it's it, now he's sort of relieved himself of all this pressure of being on the PJ Tour board and all that stuff. I think he could have a big year, and and yeah, it'll be fascinating to see how he gets on, sort of leading into the Masters. But but what did you yeah, what did you think of this performance, mate? Did you watch much of it? Yeah, I did. I watched loads of it actually. It's it's quite ha- handy for me to watch the um, European Tour, particularly early doors, because obviously we've got we've got an eight month old baby, and she likes to get up early. So you know, catching catching and stuff in Dubai and the Middle East has been quite easy. Um, but yeah, Rory is has been a bit of an enigma over the last few years. And I think you're right in saying, you know, he's alleviated himself of the pressure of the PJ tour board, et cetera. He got too wrapped up in politics, in my opinion. He was too focused on, you know, being this voice, um, talking about obviously what was going on with Liv and having such strong opinions about it that I, it really did take away from his golf. And now he's pushed that to one side. He's coming out, he's playing some fantastic stuff. He's winning events. His ball striking looks as good as I've ever seen it. And at the weekends, he putted well. So, you know, when, when Rory's short game is on form, you're not going to beat him. There was there was one thing that really struck out to me was he was, I wasn't sure about Rory on Sunday. I was thinking, oh, it looks like he might, he might not quite get there again like he did against Tommy. But there was the par three. I think it was, it was seven or eight on the front nine. He's hit this shot that probably should have gone in the water, but it carried the water, ended up in a little basin next to the green. He short-sided himself. There's hardly any room. And they put up a graphic of where what scores everyone had made, where their ball positions were. Nobody had got up and down from down there all day. And that was, you know, a good handful of uh, players that had been there. Rory literally just fizzes this little chip in there, checks up, ends up about two or three feet away. And that's something that I don't think Rory has had so much over recent years. Look at that shot he hit in the, um, in the Ryder Cup when he was playing with Matt Fitzpatrick on the par three, where he just, he got backspin from about 10 yards away. It was obscene. Yeah. You know, he's, he seems to have found something that he didn't have over recent years. And I think that is going to really push him on. Like his ball strike strike is amazing. If he can eliminate that sort of like left shot that he gets when he's under pressure, I think that, yeah, Rory is going to 
be world number one again pretty soon and hopefully he picks up some majors because he, he does deserve it. He definitely deserves a Masters. So, yeah, it'd be nice to see. Yeah, what were your thoughts? But it's Rory McIlroy's has always been, when he's miles back and he's out of contention and he's playing carefree, he's always been the best player in the world. Like, full-flow Rory, when he's just going at flags, he's not bothered about any result, he's just playing golf, is just an absolute joy to watch. Like, that nine yeah. under par on Saturday, because he was out of contention, he was just going, he knew he had to go low, so he's just firing at everything, and he goes out and shoots the lowest round of the day by four shots, and it's just... It's just incredible to watch him when he's like that. But then when he gets in yeah. contention, like in, say, the final round of the Open at St. Andrews, and he gets a little bit sort of steery and he's just looking at the centre of greens and stuff, I don't think Rory's playing to his strengths. And so I think that's part of the reason why he struggled a bit when he's been in contention in majors is because he, he knows he doesn't have to shoot the mid-60s to win. And that's kind of plays away from Rory's strengths of his game because he's an aggressive player naturally. He's a, he's quite a, you know, he's a he's an exciting and aggressive person in general, really, isn't he? Like off the off the course of his opinions, you can tell that that's how yeah. he wants to be, and that's how he wants to play golf. He doesn't want to shy Heart away from anything. Kind of guy. Yeah, he doesn't shy away from anything, and so when he's got to be a bit more, you know, he's like, oh, I'll well, play away from that flag and just you know give myself thirty feet or just you know just nudge a little free with down here or whatever that's not how Rory wants to play golf but he managed to do it quite well I thought um to close this tournament out so yeah it's definitely a different side of him and and hopefully he has a good run into the Masters because he's got the chance now Rory is still a young man well he's 32 or 3 and he's still got the chance to be the greatest European golfer ever he'll be the first yeah. European to ever complete the career Grand Slam if he wins the Masters and it's the storyline's kind of dropped off a bit because we're now used to him struggling in the Masters and, and not really performing but if he can win that it's the biggest story in golf and it should be every time the, the week leading up to Augusta it should be all about can Rory complete the career Grand Slam because you know from our point of view it's as a European golf fan like it would just it would just be amazing to have a European complete the career Grand Slam it really would. Yeah, I, to I totally agree. I disagree with your thing about, um, you know, it being all about Rory the, in the build-up. Not, not from a, a story perspective, because I agree entirely about that. But from a Rory's perspective, the last thing he needs is everybody talking about how he needs to win the Masters when he's going into the Masters. Do you, he, he just doesn't perform under that kind of pressure. <laughs> Do well, you know what I mean? He needs, to, he needs people to lay off it. So that he can go in there and just think, treat it like, you know, obviously it's another big tournament and he wants, desperately wants to win it, but he doesn't want to be front page of, you know, front page news in every golf. I don't know about that. Do you know what I'm it's saying? Not like, no, I don't know about that because Rory doesn't shy away from the spotlight. In the last couple of years, you've had Tiger Woods' return has been the big story or like the live guys going back last year. Like Rory wasn't top of the bill last year at all. And um, I don't know about that I just, really. I, I think it might help him. Mate, I don't know. I just it, look at when the, the Open was in Ireland, when um when Lowry won it, he was Rory's first round. Like all the talk was about Rory going and winning it, and he's he's played appalling. Pings it, and then the next day when the pressure the was on, he went and shot the lowest rounds of anybody. Like he, that's true. I think yeah, the build up is bad for him when he's the limelight. I think it's best that he's the foot is off the pedal from the media on Rory. They're talking about something else, and he just goes in and does his business and shoots fucking six or seven under par. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe we can agree to disagree because he was the the big yeah. man. You know, he was the lead story when he won his last his last majors. Really, obviously, it was ten years ago now, but um, he was always that's the, the favourite. Yeah, but what ten years mean? ago was a different Rory to where we're at now. He's now had that 
that you know that anxiety creep in those negative thoughts creep in because he hasn't won a major for 10 years and so it gets harder the longer you go that is true back then he was yeah. winning everything yeah that is very very true oh man i don't know i'm really excited for the major season this year especially the masters i just i just can't wait for them to come up and and this is exactly sort of why it's um it's cool to sort of have this chat uh, sort of amongst ourselves on this on this podcast because we're gonna have very different opinions on certain things and um yeah it's gonna be a lot of fun um well, yeah, we need to sure. move on we need to move on again quick because we've sort of run out of time. So um, Lydia Coe got back in the winner's circle again on the LPJ Tour. Um, and she's been sort of, last year was a bit of a struggle for us. She got back to world number one uh, sort of the previous year. And um, she won on the LET, um, uh, what's it called? The uh, Aramco series early last year. And then after that, she she didn't have a win. So it, I thought it was really good to see her back in the winner's circuit again. And she's now just one point away from getting into the Hall of Fame and you know, with all the swing uh, challenges she's had, she's still just 27 years old. And to have such an incredible career at such a young age is is amazing. So, yeah, I don't know if you caught much of that, mate, because obviously with the little one, but um, yeah, what, what did you I make caught of, a little of bit. I caught some of the highlights. And what always strikes me with, with the ladies is, is just how incredibly they good they are with their wedge play. Like, they compete with with most tour players in on any tour, um, obviously the only thing that's different is the length and it's just it's just remarkable like you watch these girls stand up there and they, they're hitting five woods to 10 feet for fun <laughs> it's just it, it's yeah. just remarkable and Lydia from what I saw at the weekend Lydia looked great like I didn't obviously catch that much of it because I was watching other golf and had other things on but um, yeah really impressive what she's doing it's still at such a young age yeah Charlie Hole played well too she I think she come top 10 um, she was She's uh she top ten top I'm mean, been seventh actually, um yeah and she, she's um she's one that really needs to have a breakout season and win a major this year and it's and it's after some close calls last year particularly in the women's British Open, um I really hope she can do it and and if she can win, if she could win the women's Open this year at at St Andrews that would be a hell of a story and I'll be certainly following closely to watch see how she's sort of performing coming up to that because that would be something else if she can finally yeah, break definitely. out major duck there. Um, yeah, yeah, would be huge. Yes, it really would be. Well, we're moving on again. We've got a couple of listener questions. Um, obviously, lots of people just asking about Liv, what's going on with Liv. Um, so, I mean, I'll probably run with this one on my own. You can just give me I'll some let you take the lead. For, <laughs> yeah, so um, I had a couple of phone calls yesterday, actually, with some guys that were in Dubai. And there was allegedly a, a player recruitment guy out there still giving offers to um to people and it smacks a little bit of sort of desperation that they're tr- still trying to recruit players at events this close to the season you'd think that certainly with John Rahm signing that they'd have already had his team locked up so um yeah Caleb Surratt is I'm virtually certain that he signed uh uh it hasn't been officially announced, but I'm pretty sure he's on John's team, Legion 13. Um, Kieran Vincent, who came through qualifying, is also on Legion 13. So that leaves one spot. Uh, uh, Live Golf Updates has been really good and, and really up to date with a lot of this information from John's side of things. Uh, and he believes that Wyndham Clark is the target. Uh, that goes sort of against the report from the Telegraph, who said that the Till Hatton is the target. Um I'm not sure I see either of them going at the moment. I just, I'm just not hearing anything. And I, I don't know who they'd get in if they didn't have one of those players. I really have got no idea who would be their fourth player. So it's going to be a fascinating few de- days to see um, sort of how that sort of pans out. Because if John starts the season and he's got, say, a college player, a promoted player, and then one of the reserves from last year, say, he comes in as their fourth to sort of stop gap while they get someone else. I mean, that's going to be a bit of a 
um, what's the word, a bit of a letdown, I think, for people who, when he signed over Christmas, expected there to be a flood of BJ Tour players coming over. So, yeah, yeah that's that's um where we sort of stand with Legion 13. Um, so the Ironheads have a spot and they're going to get Jinichiro Kazuma. Um, the cliques have two spots and one of their spots is going to Kyle Samoya. Uh, Martin Keimer confirmed that uh, yesterday. I had a conversation with somebody um, over the weekend who said that uh, the cliques and Martin Keimer have requested that Charlie, uh, sorry, Charlie, Laurie Cantor be their fourth player. So, um, yeah, so I would, I don't know who they can get because they targeted Victor Hovland and they obviously aren't getting Victor. I know that they're not getting him because he's rejected um, uh, their offers. So who can be their fourth guy is, I think at this late stage, I think Laurie Cantor deserves to have the pick. He came fourth in qualifying. He was in the open zone last year. And I think it should be Laurie. I think he deserves the chance. And I just, yeah, don't see sort of who they would get in if it's not him. So, um, yeah, I guess we'll have to go wait and see. But um, Liv starts again next next week at Mayakoba. Um, and I believe, Tony, that's the golf course that you played. So, yeah, what yeah, did you make of it when you went there with Mike? Do you know what? It was cracking. It was... um. Yeah, we really enjoyed the whole venue, to be honest. The condition of it was was fantastic. Uh, we didn't have the best weather. It was a bit overcast, a little bit drizzly at times, but it was it was a lot of fun. And um, what I what really struck me there is is how tight it is of the tee. Like the mangroves are like, you've got like the fairway and then there's mangroves and then there's alligators and all sorts of stuff like that. So, you know, it's <laughs> going to suit someone that's good off the tee, a good driver of the ball, in my opinion. Um, we had this, we had quite a funny experience around there, actually. There was we we bought these um we, on the way round they obviously the, the buggy girls come round and we ordered some um some steak tacos which were out of this world they were fantastic and a couple of coronas obviously so you know we're having this and we're sat on this par three and we've left our steak tacos in the uh in the buggy and these little like I can't even remember the name of them these little like monkey things just appeared from nowhere <laughs> they were like a mixture of like a monkey and a raccoon and oh, they right. literally there must have been twenty five of these things like walking towards our buggies and we were like oh shit so we're like running back one of us had to stay at the buggy and fend these things off from our food while the other one was putting out and then when we drove off they chased us down the path (laughs) (laughs) it was hilarious they weren't aggressive or anything it was just it was such a crazy experience but they have one it's it mate it was it was it's just yeah a lot of fun I, i like mexico in general and we stayed in Cancun, so we had a couple of really good nights out as well. And there's another golf course near there we played called um, Golf Club of Cancun, which is is worth going to if anyone's in the area. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's a place that I never really thought about playing golf before. And then obviously they had the PJ Tour event in Mayakoba. Um, I, I particularly I watched every single shot when Victor Hovland won around there, and it was like right, we've got to get out there and play this place. So yeah, it's brilliant, mate. I'd recommend. Yeah, it's cool. It's um. We'll probably do a bit of a, a, a preview for the season once we actually know what's going on because there's so much um, still to find out about the live season. It's getting a bit frustrating, to be honest. Um, but yeah, we'll, I think what we'll do is um, maybe after the weekend, uh, we'll get Matt on as well and the three of us can sort of break down the live season because that'll be fun to do. Yeah, cool. Sounds good, man. Yeah. Um, right, so sort of flipping around some other news around the um, the world of golf. Rory was talking last week and so was Keith Pelly about making the... Uh, golf more global and that they believe the PGA Tour um, is starting to understand that the opportunity lies outside of America as well as sort of with their legacy events so um, if if the, they all got together and made a global tour sort of how would you feel about that I think it'd be like the best thing for the sport going forwards oh without question I think it's 
it's astonishing that they've been so short-sighted just to keep all these massive events in in America. I mean, this it's always frustrated me that I feel like they sometimes Americans feel struggle to see like there's a world outside of America sometimes, and that that might upset some of the uh, some of the listeners. But it, it's it's like they just pinched they pinched all of the talent to come and play in their tour. They have the odd event outside of America, you know, one in Mexico, they go over to Asia, but they don't do much at all. And they've actually started to, over recent years, actually pinch the big European tour events, like pinching the Scottish Open, you know, and things like that. And it wouldn't surprise me if they, they you know, they obviously were doing a, a co-sanctioned event at Wentworth as well. And it's just like, guys, let's either get together and have this one big world tour or have an American tour and, and, and separate tours where you don't constantly buy and steal other players because of because of the money like there needs to be a, a, some kind of compromise here so that every golf fan in the world can see things like there's not enough events in Scandinavia in my opinion Scandinavia is massive for for golf um there probably should be more around Spain and around that sort of um region as well of bigger events it's just it would be nice to see a little bit more spread around the world yeah I mean one of the biggest things for me is is sort of how in the 90s, obviously the European tour was big, the PJ tour was big, the Australian tour was big and the Sunshine tour was big. And you'd have like top players who play in South Africa, Australia, continental Europe, UK and in the States. Yeah. And then golf fans would get to see all that. But last year, like Rory McIlroy won what obviously the DP World Tour is, is now the new name, but it's the European tour. And he won the European Tour Order of Merit last year. And he didn't play in continental Europe. He didn't play in front of a Spanish fans, French fans, Italian yeah. fans, German fans. Like, it's it's nuts that that's what's happening. It's right wrong, now. yeah. And it's it has wrong. to move this towards... Is... Go, carry on. So I was going to say the system and the points, the way the points work just doesn't make any sense. You know, you see guys go and win the, um, the race of Dubai over recent years. You've had guys competing that have literally not played on the European tour, apart from in the open or something similar. They've done really well. Colin in the Morikawa majors. did. Yeah. Colin Morikawa, Morikawa Patrick Reed, you know, players like no, Pat, that. Uh, Patrick Reed traveled over a bit though. Like he's always played at Wentworth when he was allowed. Like he's, he's a bit different. Um, but in particular, Colin Morikawa is the one that stands out where he'd only played about three, um, like I call them whole European tour events, like in his whole life when he'd won the race to Dubai. Yeah. He'd played like the, the co-sanctioned Scottish Open, um, won the major, um, yeah, World Golf Championships or whatever, which count for both order of merits. And and that was just embarrassing, especially when he didn't bother um, going back to defend his title the, 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 the year after. Um, I agree, I just it's a real slap. Yeah, they they're not that they're not bothered about it. They only just turn up if they think they're gonna win it and and that's that's not cool. But um yeah, I mean if we can get this world tour going, I think fans in particular need to keep making their voices heard about this. Cause if you can get a world tour like a Formula One type thing, which Charlie Chandler mentioned on the podcast, where you have um I don't know how many events it is, say uh fifteen events around the world where you go to Australia, South Africa, Japan, Korea, uh continental Europe, Spain, um Ireland, UK, um the States, Canada, Mexico. But like if you go sort of one stop in each of those regions, I think it would be an amazing thing. And it would, it would add a lot of intrigue to the sport too, because the sort of the TPC um, sort of structure of the golf courses, which they play on the PJ Tour a lot, uh, just doesn't really do it for me either. You know, these big wide open fairways when you're just sending it and it's just putting competitions um, is, a yeah, I think is a bit shit. So it'd be a lot, it'd be cool to see a lot of different golf as well. Um, yeah, I mean, world. it's obviously cool to see somebody making loads of birdies and shooting 30 under, but it, it's too regular, isn't it? It's not, yeah. not not the 30 under, but it's too regular that people are shooting loads and loads under par. You know, it's nice to see somebody win an event with like five under for once. 
yeah, I totally agree. And um, yeah, hopefully that's that's the way we're leading. So, um, right, we're going to have to get back to work. I mean, it's the last thing I wanted to touch on before we uh before we leave was I saw yesterday. You know, I'm into my horse racing. Uh, Brooks Kepka and Graham McDowell. I've got a horse called Give Me Five, and he's a, a young saw that, juvenile, yeah. and he he won his first maiden. Um his novice uh, hurdle whatever it was juvenile novice hurdle and he came out yesterday under a penalty and he hacked up he won by like 18 lengths and i think he's going yeah. to cheltenham so um yeah you know i love my horses i might be following that one into cheltenham maybe putting a few quid on it so that'll be interesting what race would he run at cheltenham then um i imagine i can't remember what it's called now It'd probably be the boodles uh the juvenile uh grade two which is on the yeah. the thursday so yeah okay be interesting to to watch for sure um yeah, well, Cheltenham right. be good. We're going to Newbury, obviously, early next month. So that'll be a nice little warm-up. Yeah, definitely. And then I always think that once Cheltenham's over, the countdown to the Masters is on and it's full golf season. So that's the way I yeah. kind of look at things in my year. So, yeah, yeah. absolutely right. There's so much to look forward to. It's coming quick. So, yeah, thanks for the chat, mate. Um, we'll be doing this every week. Um, like I say, Tony's going to be new sort of co-host for doing this sort of thing. Uh, we've got some interviews lined up. Uh, hopefully, I've got Andy Ogletree this week. Uh, potentially some other... Uh, guys coming up as well uh we're probably going to speak to bob harrig as well about his new book and sort of dive into some tiger tales um so yeah hopefully you enjoy listening we enjoy doing it so thanks for your time cheers guys well done mate take care see you later cheers